We are going to pick up where we left out, left off last week as I didn't actually get to finish sermon last week. Uh, so I'm going to do that today, Romans chapter 7. Most of us realize that we still struggle with sin. Right? Yep, we do. We struggle with sin, and the reason that we struggle with sin is because it is within us. But yet, it has been rendered powerless. We understand that from chapter 5 and chapter 6. Now in chapter 7, again, we understand that Paul is reiterating the relationship of the believer to the law. And we understand that we have been released from the law. We learned last week that verses 1 through 4 teach us that the law has no authority over the dead. That's what we are. We are dead unto that as far as obeying the law and then receiving salvation from our obedience. We're dead to that. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, died for us, lived a righteous life for us took the penalty of our sins on the cross, satisfied the wrath of God, and we stand before him as righteous. As we look to verses uh, 4, 5, and 6, I'll read it together. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. We've understood that. Paul gave an analogy, a marital analogy, saying that if the husband dies, the wife then is not bound. She is able to to marry and to be a part of that. And we have now have died to the law. We are married to Christ. And that's what he's saying. You have died to the law through the body of Christ that we can belong to another. And why? So that we can go and bear fruit. Why did God, when he said through Jesus Christ, he appointed apostles, he said, I have chosen you that you may go and bear fruit. So therefore we then are chosen to go and we are to do the same to bear fruit for God. In verse 5 he says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We need to look at this understanding and begin to look in verse 5, what does it mean when he uses the word flesh? The word flesh is used 137 times in the New Testament. 91 of them are used by the Apostle Paul. So we have to look and say, does this might have a different meaning from its use in other places? And that's part of understanding and getting into Bible study is looking at keywords, understanding keywords when you come to a passage. If it's being repeated and repeated and repeated, know that that is important. So we're going to look at what does Paul mean when he says, while we were living in the flesh? So we want to look at that little word. Well, first of all, 
Flesh could mean in the scriptures, especially the New Testament, the whole of mankind. In Luke chapter 3, verses 6, it says that Zechariah, when he saw the Lord, the baby, he says, all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. So he's referring to the whole of mankind when he uses that word flesh. But we also know that flesh used can be also to refer to the body. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh or in my body, the life I live now, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in 1 Corinthians 15, that great, wonderful verse on the resurrection and about how we will not be in heaven with perishable bodies, but imperishable bodies. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood body cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So flesh could mean body. Also, it can mean human nature. Flesh can mean human nature. Romans 9, when we get there, we're going to see that Paul has a heart for his fellow nation, his fellow Jews. And so we can say this is his whole race, this human nature, this this, uh, Jewish people. He says, to them belong the patriarchs in verse 5, and from their race, according to the flesh is the Christ, according to their human nature, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. So we see the flesh is human nature. We also see flesh is human attainment. Philippians 3.3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. He goes on to say, If anybody wants to have confidence in the flesh, I can have confidence in flesh. And he lists all the accomplishments that he had. Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees, zealous for the works of the law. So what he's saying is that use of the word flesh means human attainment. Now, also, flesh is used as the sensuous part of our nature. Galatians 5.17, this is where we have this war going on within us. It says, for the desires of the flesh, desires, sensuous part of our nature, of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So how do we discern how Paul in this passage is using the word flesh? Well, one way to do that, when you come to Bible study and you come to reading the Word of God, you are absolutely and totally allowed to use reason and logic. There are some Christians who don't believe that you can ha- that reason and logic has any place in the Christian life. You just need to be illuminated by the Spirit of God. I want you to understand... Reason and logic are not bad things. In fact, in the scriptures, it says we are to be renewed, where? In our minds. We are to use our minds, use our brains when we read scriptures. Believing what Jesus said in John, that the spirit of God that he's going to give to us is going to guide us into all truth. How many of you have heard of Count Zinzendorf. Anybody have heard of Count Zinzendorf? One or two folks have heard of that. Count Zinzendorf 
was a rich noble that was a Christian and influenced by Peter Spinner, who was a pietist back in the 1700s. It was a relative of his. But during this time, what had happened was that in, there were some German exiles from Moravia that came over to his area, and he allowed them to set up a city in one part of his, on his land, and they formed a church there in that city. What had happened was that they had people from different theological convictions that were there, and there was a lot of conflict. Zinzendorf gave up a post to come back and to be a part of these people, which were become known as the Moravian Brethren. And what he believed from the scriptures is that they needed to dwell in unity and Christian community. And what he believed that the Lutheran church, the German Lutheran church had become too reasoning, too logical, too stoic. So he introduced more of what they called pietism, individualism, reading the scripture on their own, praying, seeking the Lord, those kind of things, which were good kind of things. We understand it. But he went at one point way beyond what he needed to do. In other words, he t- we're at a place where the count founded inside of this little city. He founded based upon 1 Corinthians, you know, where it says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He founded inside of that a society of little fools. <laughs> a society of little fools. He wrote that members were not to use their own brains. They were to wish they had no brains. They were to be like little children in arms and just wait for the Lord to reveal things. And in fact, it's well known that the Moravians practice such customs from the Bible as casting lots to be able to figure out the will of the Lord and then opening the pages of scripture at random and then receiving insight from the word of God. Folks, that's not uncommon. Even today, I was visiting a lady in a hospital many, many years ago and she was on her deathbed and yet the little little girl that uh, her granddaughter was 16 years old was daily going in and out of the chapel praying for her mother, which was a, a grandmother, which was a good thing. One day she came excitingly into the hospital room while I was there and said that she had received a word from the Lord that her grandmother was going to be okay. I said, how did you receive this word for the Lord? I was sitting in the chapel this morning and I opened the Bible and a fly came and landed on a verse. And so I looked and I read the verse. And it was a verse talking about healing. So I know that my grandmother is going to be healed. Kind of like Zinzendorf and his group would do at different times. Unfortunately, grandmother died. The fly was wrong. So... 
we need to understand we can use reason and logic and we are to use our brains at the same time to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. So with that, I want us to do a little reasoning. We have to do a little reasoning. How is Paul using this term about flesh? Now, certainly he's not talking about the whole of mankind. If we read it like that, in verse 5, we would say, while we were living, while we were living as the whole of mankind... That doesn't make sense. Our sinful passions aroused by the law. So we know he's not talking about that. We rule that out. Neither is he talking about the body because Paul is still in his body. (laughs) He's not saying, now, while we were living in the body, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. We're at work in our members. He's using a past tense there. So he'd have to be saying, while we were in the body, but right now we're not in the body. That, That doesn't make sense. What we need to see is he's not referring to the body. He's not referring to those other things either. What is he referring to? This leaps us into keeping things in context as we're looking at the scripture. Keeping things in context. We have to look at the whole. And if you jump over to chapter 8, which is a wonderful chapter, we begin to see that Paul is using the word flesh and spirit, death and life He's using the term flesh as that which is opposite of life. Romans 6, we've went through this. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Right? Think of that. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit leads you to, uh, to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says in verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Romans 8, as you go through that, you will see there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He goes on, it says, we don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live in the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh. Those who live in the spirit set their mind on things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So what in the world is he talking about? Verse 9 in chapter 8 gives us a clue. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ and does not belong to him. So what's he talking about? He is talking about the unregenerate state of a person before they come into Christ. Now listen to what he says. Again, he says in chapter 7, verse 5, while we were living in an unregenerate state, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. That is what he's trying to tell us. These are sinful passions were at work to bear fruit for death. Now, I want you to understand something in that, that we need to look at that little word in that verse. It says, we are there, we are, it is working in us. 
It's aroused through the law. That's, it says by the law, but there's a little word. That little word by is the word dia in Greek, and it should be translated through. Most of your uh, translations say that it's through. So what I'm saying is this. The law did not create the passions. The passions were already there. The sin was already there in your falling state. The mere fact is that the law or a rule basically aroused in you something that you were not to do because simply the law told you not to do it. Therein is the problem that we all have with this sin nature. Passions within being rebels to God and the lost person being under the control and domination of sinful nature do not want to obey the laws of God. That, however, leads to to death, eternal death. And since man is so self-autonomous, man wants to be a law unto himself. He doesn't want to obey the rules. Does that not raise its ugly head in us even today? Does it not? Does not rules raise passions within us to disobey the rules? Don't we have a little mantra here in America that says laws are made to be broken, right? We do those kind of things. Think about it. I walked on the campus of the dearly beloved Texas A&M, right? And there are signs everywhere that says, stay off the grass. You know what my first inclination to do was? step on it just because it said what stay off the grass don't touch the white wet paint how about something like this use the left lane for passing only you seen those signs you know and what do we do stay in that left lane right and get mad at anybody else that's in that left lane not driving fast right okay do not now this one I've never understood do not remove this tag from the sheets. Y'all seen that at the bottom, you know, at the bottom of the sheets or at the bottom of the mattress. Do not remove this tag. Why not? It bothers my feet. I'm going to tear it off, okay? Or how about this one? This one gets me. This one gets me. This register, 15 items or less. And I'm counting the people in front of me. Are you? I'm like, and I'm hitting Brendan. I'm going, they have 18 items in their stinking basket. They are supposed to be over there, you know, holding me up. But how many of us, you know, oh, I just have 25, no big deal. I'll just go through, right? It's within us. It's these passions. It's just in us. The law arouses these passions and just tells us we need to break these rules. It's there. If you've never heard of Augustine of Hippo, he has a book he, uh, called Confessions of Augustine. I call him Augustine. It's Augustine. He's one of our early Christian thinkers and theologians that influenced most of our doctrine that we have today. Uh, he tells us of his own passion to rule. He listened to this story. It's pretty cool. I say cool. It helps me feel better about myself. 
there was a pear tree near our vineyard laden with fruit. One stormy night, we rascally youth set out to rob it and carry our spoils away. We took off a huge load of pears, not to feast upon ourselves, but to throw them to the pigs, though we ate just enough to have the pleasure of forbidden fruit. But it was not the pears that my wretched soul coveted, for I had plenty better pears at home. I picked them simply in order to become a thief. The only feast I got was the feast of iniquity, and that I enjoyed to the full. What was it that I loved in that theft? Was it the pleasure of acting against the law in order that I, a prisoner under rules, might have a maimed counterfeit of freedom by doing what was forbidden with a dim similitude of impotence? No, the desire to steal was awakened simply by the prohibition of stealing. That was it. They're awakened. They are aroused. And the Bible says in verse 5, they are aroused, they are at work, which is a Greek word that means working powerfully. Working powerfully in our unregenerate state. Understand this. Passions do not punch the clock at five o'clock. They are continually working 24-7 and work without a lapse of energy. And where were they working? The better question is this. Where are they not working? They're working everywhere. They're all through us. We have to understand that. They're working in our mind to lead us astray in our thoughts. They're working in our hearts. As John Calvin says, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols, that the mind begets an idol and the hand gives it birth. That is true. Jesus even said it, Mark 7, 21, from within, for from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They defile a person. Praise the Lord. We have verse 6, which it says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, So that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul is talking about a former self. Now he's talking about a new self that serves in the new way of the spirit. So if the spirit gives life, which it does, and since God has written his law in our hearts, which he has, then the spirit leads us to obey that which is in our hearts. Though we've died to the law, We still obey the law through Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. And if Jesus through his Holy Spirit is living in us, he will lead us to understand that we will be convicted as a regenerate believer will convict us where we violate the commandment of God. Take the tongue, for example. This little member is a deadly fire. That's what James says. It's deadly. With it, we what? Bless and we do what? We curse. We tell lies. We gossip. We slander. But if we're led by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will bring to our minds, when we are in conversation with someone else, 
lie not to one another. Another scripture might come to mind that says when you tell this off-color joke, you may have the scripture come up and says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to hear. Or Ephesians 5, 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. That is how the new way of the Spirit works. You don't have to walk around anymore with a scroll of the book of Moses, the law of Moses, and every time you take a step, open it up. Did I do okay? Let me find out. Did I do okay? No, the Spirit of God dwelling within you brings those things to mind and helps you and convicts you and moves you forward in your Christian life that you don't have to carry around a scroll of the law of God, but it will remind you continually of the moral law of God, the commandments of God, exactly what Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Who's going to keep them for you? You're going to be working with God in that sense as he reminds you that you then be submissive unto the Spirit and submissive unto that leading from the Holy Scripture to then obey what God wants you to do. In other words, you'll be convicted of sin, which John tells us through Jesus, you'll be convicted of sin. You'll be convicted of the righteousness that is yours. You'll be convicted of judgment. You will judge yourselves in light of what the Scripture teaches. You will walk that way in the new way of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? I like um, the website, if you haven't found it, gotquestions.org. You have theological questions? You have any kind of questions on the Christian life? Go to gotquestions.org. They type it in and they answer it. I was reading through this, and this is what they said concerning walking in the Spirit or being led by the Spirit or the new way of the Spirit. It says, those who walk in the Spirit are united with Him. They bear fruit. That's what we just read. They're going to bear fruit for life. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in love. They live in love for God, for their fellow man. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in joy. They exhibit gladness in what God has done. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in peace. They live anxiety free. Those who walk in the Spirit experience patience. They are known for having a long fuse. Don't lose their temper. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in kindness. They show tender concern. They walk in the Spirit. They walk in goodness. They reflect virtue and holiness. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in faithfulness. They are steadfast in their trust of God. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in gentleness. They live in humility, grace, thankfulness. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in self-control. They display moderation, constraint, the ability to say no to the flesh. We were in the flesh. When we were in the flesh, according to Paul, we didn't want to do those things. We didn't want to walk after God. But now that we're in the Spirit, this new way of the Spirit says we're able to say no to the flesh because the flesh, the old man, has died and therefore it does not have dominion over us. This new way guides our thoughts, it guides our words, it guides our deeds. We desire holiness. We want the things that God wants. We hate the things that God hates. 
And that's another thing that we need to understand of what's going on in our society and even in Christian churches. We are calling acceptable that which God is calling unacceptable. We are calling things good that God is calling evil. And dear Christian friend, it is okay to call evil what it is. And that is evil. No matter the response that you get from somebody else. You walk in humility, you walk in grace, but you call sin, sin. That's what we do. That's part of it. That is actually loving, believe it or not. That is loving. So we need to understand this. To walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, what happens when that happens this new way? That the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and reveals the will of God. And what is His will? To obey His commandments. Which ones? The moral laws of God. That's what it is. We are dead to the law. When it talks about for our salvation, earning our salvation, we are alive to the Spirit. He has earned that salvation through Jesus Christ for us. He lives in us. He will fulfill the law of God in us. Because when Jesus gave us the Spirit, He transformed our hearts and our minds and our wills to be conformed to His image. He fulfilled the law. For who? For us. He fulfilled the law. What the law could not do, He did. He redeemed us not to destroy it, but to fulfill it. So if you want... To honor the commands of Christ through the Spirit. This is the new way. This is the new way. It only comes by having new life in Christ. And so what we are to do, as we're going to learn in chapter 8, is to be led by the Spirit. And walk in that Spirit and allow Jesus to live through us. Dear people, we don't have to earn the love of Christ. Some of us continue to be so legalistic in our walk unto the Lord that we've given a self-induced law, laws that have already been fulfilled in Christ that we say we've got to do this, 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 and this. And our Christianity just becomes a bunch of do's and don'ts instead of a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. As we allow him to live through us because he is in us, He will lead us in paths of what? Righteousness for his name's sake. And what we do is we depend on Christ alone. Christ alone. That's what we depend on. Not the law. Christ alone. Understand we have died to the law. We are dead to that. We are alive to God. We need to live in him. So therefore, as we come to the close of this passage today, we're going to enter next week into a really, really interesting passage dealing with sin and the sinfulness of sin, the purpose of the law of sin, what it's doing for us, what it's done for us, what we are to do in evangelism with the law. And we're going to look at that next week in verses 7 through through 13 there's where we're going next week so I pray that you would be back and be a part of that let's pray together Father thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning this opportunity to rejoice in you 
the opportunity, O Lord, for us to lift our prayers unto you, knowing that you answer our prayers when we call. Thank you, O Lord, for giving us this grace in our Lord Jesus Christ and living this life through us. So, Father, as we die to sin this day and every day, Lord, we proclaim that we are alive unto you. We present ourselves to you, as Romans tells us. We present our members to you as members and instruments of righteousness to your holy will. I pray for this congregation that they would walk in that. Lord, that they would see the beauty of their union with Christ and that they would confess that daily, dead to sin, alive unto you. Bless them this week. Lord, let them be used to bring the gospel to someone. Bless them with good health. Bless them, O Lord. And as we return to worship again next week, I pray, O Lord God, that we would glorify your name again as we look deeply into the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.